Well, we want to welcome all of you to the services of Grace Church at Franklin here on Arno Road in Franklin, Tennessee. And we are located at 4052 Arno Road in Franklin, just a few minutes south of Nashville, Tennessee. We want to invite all of you who are in the Nashville, Tennessee area to come out and, and worship with us. We have services beginning at about this time of uh, 1045. We have Bible classes at 10. And we also meet for Bible study on Tuesday evenings at 6.45. Be happy to have you in any or all of those studies. You can see our services on YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio Video. We want to begin our services this morning with the reading of Scripture and a word of prayer to ask the Lord's blessings upon our gathering. And to do that, Dr. Nelson Foster is going to come. Good morning. I've chosen to read this morning a few words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the new Gentile Christians in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was the big city in Asia Minor at this particular time, which was around 57 AD or so. And it was a wide open city. It was Las Vegas on steroids. It was pagan to the core. They had a big temple there for Diana, the goddess of love, complete with temple prostitutes and all that sort of thing. And if you remember, Paul dreaded going there, but he finally went at the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he was there for almost three years before he had to flee for his life and leave Ephesus. So these are a few words that Paul had a way of saying a lot, a lot in a few words. I'll be reading from the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first in ho to hope in Christ would be in the praise of his glory, in him who also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So 
Did you get what he said? He said we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We believed in him in time, and we were sealed in him for eternity. So let's ask the Lord to bless our lesson. Father, we come to you this morning once again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for being our God and our Father, for loving us, and for the greatest evidence of your love, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself loved us and gave himself for us. We ask, Father, that you might be pleased once again to bless your word in this place, that you bless our pastor as he breaks the bread of life to us, and that you'd open hearts to believe what is written in your word. We do also want to pray for those in our church family who are ill, extremely ill. We would ask, Father, that you might be pleased to intervene in their half for their good and for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to start with hymn number 70 this morning, Holy, Holy, Holy. Would you all stand with us? Number 70 in your hymnal. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning my song shall rise to Holy, holy, holy. 
you all. Y'all can be seated, and we'll go ahead and have some announcements, I believe. Well, good morning, Grace Church. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. In singing that hymn, did you feel like you were joining in with the angelic choir? The angels sing holy, holy, holy. Are you practicing for the hereafter? We can have a little taste of heaven here on earth because we are in Christ and he has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. I don't know about you. You know, sometimes I'm not a real emotional person to show my emotions openly. But when I think about that, it makes me want to shout. <laughs> we, have, we, we are such a blessed people. And uh, we have this little oasis we can come to a couple of times a week and find a time of refreshing and renewing of strength in the inner man. And we need to thank the Lord for it and to avail ourselves of that uh, possibility. I'm not here to preach this morning. I'm just sharing. Thank you. <laughs> we do want to welcome those who are uh, joining us through the Internet and uh, trust that the Lord will bless you through the teaching, the ministry of the Word here as well. I have some prayer requests to share with you. Our brother Todd Horton, who usually does the announcements, is traveling. He's headed home this evening, and he's asked that we be in prayer for him for traveling mercies. Uh, Shannon Hazelwood's stepfather, Clyde Peregrine, uh, they have asked prayer for him as he's in the hospital, so let's remember him. Also want to continue to pray for our brother Calvin LaPetri, who's been with us. He's not here today. I don't see him, but let's lift him up and that family and the loss of his wife, Judy. Uh, also want to remember our brother Lee Barton who seems to be doing a little better this week. He remains tired, but he and Judy continue to lean on the Lord to carry them through. And that's quite a testimony. Quite a testimony. Um, Judy says she is in awe of what the Lord has done for them. And although the doctors have exhausted their abilities, the Lord has continued with his plan for their lives. And Judy adds that they think of the church family every day, missing us and praying for us. So let's not be remiss in praying for them as well. Also want to continue to pray for our brother Ed Adamowitz, who's undergoing treatment for cancer. Uh, Tom Estes, who's been visiting with us or coming back to uh, worship on the Tuesday evening group has requested prayer as uh, he's having some health issues. Also want to continue to remember our sister Marie Dalton. I don't see her this morning, but let's remember her. Also, Sue, we're glad she's with us today. We're thankful the Lord has blessed her. And uh, I want to continue to remember our sister Shirley Murphy, who is not here this morning. Pray for Shirley. And uh, Larry and Becky are asking the church to pray for uh, Becky's mother, Ruth. She's uh, had some sickness going on, and uh, they want to uh, ask the Lord's healing for her as well as strength for them as they minister to her needs. 
Also want to remember Carolyn Batt, Gladys Alquist and her son, uh, Paul Osborne and his wife, uh, Shirley Murphy and her sister Brenda Fay and Howie Smith, as well as Pastor Gary Scott, his wife Ann, and uh, their son Gary Scott Jr. Remember that family. Also would uh, remind you of the Tuesday evening uh, weekly Bible study. It's at 6.45 on Tuesday evening. And uh, also, if you would like to support the ministry here at the church, there is an offering box on the round table in the foyer. You can drop your gifts and offerings there. All right. Okay, everyone, you probably don't even need the music, but number 236 in the hymnal, Amazing Grace, please. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But now I'm found Was blind But now I see T'was grace that taught my heart to fear And grace my fears
Well, we're glad to see all of you today. I want to uh, reiterate the Tuesday night Bible study. We're having Bible study on Tuesday night at 6.45. We quit at 7.30. We're having very good groups. We're studying various doctrines of Scripture. I intend to talk to you this, this week, this Tuesday, about the issue of uh, the will of God and the will of man, free will, and so on. So we'll be talking about that, God willing. Uh, this morning, in just a minute, we're going to sing a song we often sing here. I think it was done last week. What manner of man is this? Based upon a passage in Isaiah. So I think Lynn has something to say. To I just to. wanted to say how many women were at the Bible uh, get-together at Leslie? Uh, what's your last name? Robert's house. How many? All you that missed it missed a real blessing. Take time to come next time. We're going to try to do it every month or maybe every other month or whatever everybody wants to do. But it was a gathering of the women here, and it was sort of, we sort of talked to each other. Isn't that shocking? <laughs> we sort of talked to each other and found out a little bit about each other. And that's what a body is, the body of Christ, is knowing the needs of other people and knowing what your needs are. How would we know? If you just walk in and then leave, how would we know? So anyway, I think it's a good idea. We may have some of them out here in the fellowship hall uh, instead of somebody's home. Whatever everybody wants to do, we can do that, okay? But anyway, uh, it was a great time, and thank you, Leslie. I want to give her a applause for opening her home to us and providing all the goodies that she did. <laughs> thank you. All right, let's stand together. Slow it up. Right, we're going to slow it up just a little bit. Ready? What manner of man is this who died on the tree? What manner of man is this who said that is Oh, 
to Genesis chapter 43. We want to welcome all of you who are with us today, both by the internet and also in present and person here with us in this building. I hope I don't knock this water off over here. I'm going to put it over here. Genesis chapter 43, we have been engaged for quite some time in the study of the story of Joseph. And today I'm going to talk to you about the secret of Joseph's faith. The secret of Joseph's faith. I want you to understand what I'm saying. You know, some of us are hard of hearing. (laughs) And I'm a little hard of hearing myself. But thankfully, my parents, my mother, mother took me to an extensive hearing test when I was about 12 years old. And the result of that test was the doctor told my mother, said, probably Bill will be deaf by the time he's 40. Well, man, I passed 40 a long time ago. I'm almost double 40 now, and I'm thankful I can still hear. There was an old man and an old woman, both of them were almost deaf, and he fixed, uh, she fixed him a big meal, and they ate till they couldn't eat anymore, and she came back out, and she said, you want some more, Paul? He said, I've had sufficiency. She said, you've been fishing. No, he said, I've had plenty. She said, you caught 20? He said, no, I have had all I can hold. And she said, and broke your pole. (laughs) So I want you to be able to understand what I'm saying today. And let me say this to all of you, and this is not making fun. I use one. Before you come in those double doors to the right, there's a box with hearing devices in there. Somebody else is speaking, I use it. You put it in your ear, you turn it on, and you dial it up as loud or as quietly as you want. So if you don't hear well and you don't understand that, get one of those devices. If you're going to use it regularly, you can put your name on it, put a name tag on it. And that way you won't get anybody else's earwax. That'd be all right. Okay. Genesis chapter 43, verse 19. 
Joseph's brothers came near to the steward of Joseph's house, and they communed with him at the door of the house, and they said, Sir, we indeed came down at the first time to buy food. They've been to Egypt before, had to come to buy food. There was a famine in the land. And we came indeed to buy food the first time, and it came to pass when we came to the inn, that is, we were going back, we had to stop at a motel and take care of our animals. We opened our sacks, and behold, everybody's money was in his sack. And uh, we have brought it again. We're bringing back that money. We don't know how that money got in our sack. Verse 22, we have brought down in our hands to buy food. We can't tell who put our money in our sacks. And he said, peace be to you, and fear not. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And remember, he had kept one man in prison, Simeon. He brought Simeon out to them. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he fed all of their animals, and they made ready to give the present they had brought to Joseph when they dined with him at noon, for they knew that they would eat bread there that day. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Now, we've learned a lot of wonderful lessons in our studies of the story of Joseph. But one issue stands out which, in a sense, has led to and characterized the entire drama leading up to this point. You remember, if you want to turn to chapter 37 in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, there are pew Bibles there in front of you. Just pick up one of those pew Bibles, and the first book in the Bible is Genesis, and all you have to do is turn to chapter 37, and you can find something that I'm going to read to you in just a moment. You remember when, when Joseph was 17 years old, he had two dreams. And in both dreams, there was something very distasteful to his entire family, not only his brothers, but his father, Jacob, as well. So using the English version, I'm going to read from chapter 37 and verse 7. Here's what it says in the English version. Joseph is speaking of his first dream, and he says in verse 7, We were all in the field tying up sheaves of wheat when my sheaf got up and stood up straight, and yours formed a circle around mine and bowed down to it. Then speaking of his second dream, he said in verse 9, with his father present, I had another dream in which I saw the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowing down to me. And when he told that second dream to his father Jacob, perhaps he expected some support, but he didn't get it. Because we read in verse 10, he also told the dream to his father. And his father scolded him. And his father said, what kind of dream is that? Do you think that your mother and your brothers and I am going to bow down to you? 
Now his brothers were already envious of him before he had these dreams, but this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because never in a million years could they imagine themselves, proud sinners that they were, bowing down to their young 17-year-old brother. And as we just read, even Jacob, his father, stood in disbelief at such a thought. This thing of bowing down is a problem. It's especially a problem here in America after we won our independence from England with their kings and queens. What is it? Why is it that we human beings have a real problem with bowing down? What's behind bowing down? Well, bowing down means submission. It means the humbling of oneself. It means to show honor to another. It means to exalt another. The detestation of bowing down is a symptom of the real problem. The real problem with the human race is between God and men. The issue is a matter of the will, which I'm going to expound on, God willing, Tuesday evening. Will I bow to the will of God, or will God submit to my will? Will my will be done, or will the will of God be done? Does God make his decisions based upon the decisions that I make? Or must I be the one who changes course? Is God the boss or am I the boss? Whose will is primary? Now I'd like to suggest at the beginning of this study today, which I hope will help those of you who are believers and I hope that it will be used to convict those of you who are not believers that a life of peace and a life of comfort and a life of even the salvation of your soul is a matter that primarily concerns the will. I want to explore this a little bit. Let's begin again with the the dreams of Joseph. Who gave those dreams to Joseph? Well, the Lord gave those dreams to Joseph. What was the purpose, or at least what was a purpose in giving those dreams to Joseph? Let me suggest a twofold purpose. One, the Lord gave those dreams to Joseph to show Joseph and his family something of what to expect in the future. They certainly at that time did not understand the dreams. Even Joseph didn't understand the dreams. Very much like us, you know, the Lord has given us some information about the future of the world. And he has said, when you see this happening and when you see that happening, you know that things, other things that I've told you about are about to happen. He said, when you see flowers begin to bloom, you know the spring is near. When you see all of them lose their leaves and begin to change color, you know that the fall is coming. When the fall comes, you know that the winter is coming. But we don't pay much attention to what the Lord has told us, just like they didn't pay a lot of attention to what the Lord told them. Not enough attention anyway. 
But as we've seen, when those dreams began to be fulfilled, Joseph began to understand them. Now, if you want to look at this, you can. It's in chapter 43 of Genesis, chapter 43. Look at verse 26. Chapter 43, verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into their house, and they bowed themselves to him in the earth. Now, what was that dream that he had? He said, each of us was like a sheaf of wheat, and all of your sheaves bowed to me. And they said, that will never happen. So here, many years later, Joseph is now 39 years old. He was 17 when he had this dream. Now, those of you who have been with us in the studies, you know that his brothers hated him. They were jealous. They were envious of him. They sold him to a bunch of Ishmaelites headed for Egypt. The Ishmaelites sold him again to a fellow named Potiphar. Potiphar ended up putting him in prison because of a lie that was told by Potiphar's wife. And then the Pharaoh had a dream, and they called Joseph out of prison because two guys that had been with Joseph in prison one of them was hung by the neck the other one was restored to his former job of the cupbearer to the Pharaoh he told the Pharaoh he said you know I remember when I was in jail there was a young man there and I had a dream and the baker had a dream and he interpreted our dreams and both of it, both of those interpretations were fulfilled exactly. And so the Pharaoh said, well, I need that man to come tell me what these dreams are that I've had. I've had these two dreams. Well, you know all of this. Joseph told him the two dreams, and he was so impressed with Joseph and his plan that he made him governor of Egypt. The two dreams of Pharaoh said that there are going to be seven years of plenty when everything will go right, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph advised the Pharaoh as to what to do and how to build storage bins to store up food so when the seven bad years got here, got there, that they would have food enough for everybody and the Pharaoh would enrich himself. So you notice here that these brothers in chapter 43, 23, 26 through 28, they bow themselves to the earth and he says, is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? Is he yet alive? And they answered, thy servant is in good health, and he is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads, and they made obeisance. They bow again. They don't know that this fellow they're talking to is the brother that they sold many years ago. As I say, he was 17 years old, and I was 39. All right, look in chapter 42. Chapter 42 of Genesis and verse 6. Joseph was governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Genesis 42 verse 6. Here they are bowing again. Now look at this verse. Verse chapter 42 Verse 9, and Joseph 
remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. You see, when he saw them bowing down, then he remembered the dreams that he had about them bowing to him, and they said they would never bow. And every time they come in to see him, they're bowing down. And chapter 42, verse 9, Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. Now here are four helps, four things that helped Joseph that came to him. Number one, they're bowing down to Joseph, confirmed the dreams of Joseph. But he had those when he was 17, I keep saying this, he's now almost 40. He didn't know what those dreams meant. But now that he sees his brothers bowing down, it comes to him. And he begins to understand what those dreams were saying. Number two, when they bowed down, that confirmed to Joseph that the hand of God was upon him. Not only did he remember the dreams about his brothers bowing down, but he now knows that God is with him, his hand is upon him in a very special way. So that means, number three, that they're bowing down and his remembering those dreams strengthened his faith and his trust in his God and Savior. Suppose you had a dream about something like that. And suppose a year or two later or 10 or 15 years later, that dream came true. You'd have to say, something special is going on here. And God has his hand upon me for some way. And your faith would be strengthened and helped. And in the fourth place, I'm telling you the four things that helped Joseph. It confirmed his dreams. It convinced him that the hand of God was upon him. It strengthened his faith. And fourthly, it revealed the amazing sovereignty of God, not only over the wills and the wishes of men, but in spite of them. His brothers never intended to be a blessing to Joseph. They hated him. They were jealous of him. They were envious of him. They were going to kill him. But one of the brothers said, let's don't kill him. Let's throw him in a pit. And finally, another brother said, let's take him out of the pit and sell him to these guys headed to to Egypt, and we'll never see him again. So they never intended to do anything to help him, but God used them in spite of themselves. Now, can you imagine the joy and the reverence and the fear that rose up in the heart and the spirit of Joseph when he saw them bowing to him and remembered those two dreams. Can you imagine the boldness and the confidence that must have gripped his soul in that hour? 
No doubt, knowing that the Lord was working in, by, and through him, produced humility and humbleness in him. This reminds me of the mother of our Lord, Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the revelation was given to her that she was going to be the maiden in the hands of God who would bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world, into the world. They just knew that the Messiah was promised. They didn't know how he was coming. They probably thought it was just going to come down from heaven, set up Israel and destroy everything else. But he came into the world virtually unnoticed. People were going about doing their own things when an angel of the Lord came to Mary and told her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. You can read her hymn of praise in the Gospel of Luke, if you want to. Uh, Mary was absolutely flabbergasted, and I think that's the way that Joseph felt. I don't think the state of Mary's soul could be captured in words, and I don't think the state of Joseph's soul could be captured in words. When he saw his brothers bowing, and he remembered those dreams. And he knew what they meant, and he felt that God was with him in a special way, and he was strengthened, he was helped, and he realized that God can work his will in any situation with or without the will of man, with or without man's cooperation, even in spite of the will of man. Now, although Joseph had been walking by faith, he had been in the dark. He'd been trusting the Lord, and he had been walking in amazing obedience to him without any confirmation whatsoever. But now that this sign has been given to him, there was nothing in heaven or hell that could deter him. There was no demon, there was no ruler, there was no king, there was nothing that could sway him now. Of all the patriots of the Old Testament, Joseph is probably the greatest and the best example of Christ, and he's the best example of the true believer. Now here's the question, and this is the burden of our little study today. Nothing real deep. What was his secret? Before his faith was confirmed by his understanding of those dreams, signified by the bowing down of his brothers, how had he been able to go on up to this point? How had he been able to go on trusting the Lord when he was betrayed by his brothers, what a tremendous disappointment that would have been. When he was sold as a slave. Suppose today when you were going home and you went into your house and all of a sudden there was a knock on your door. And you opened the door and four or five big burly guys came in and threw you down on the floor and tied you up and put a, uh, something on your eyes and took you off and you 
don't know where you are for a couple of days and you wake up in some foreign nation, held captive by somebody, you don't know where you are, you don't know who got you, you don't know anything about it, could you keep on trusting the Lord? Could you keep on calling on God? Well, that's the kind of thing that Joseph did. And I want to know, how was he able to go on? Number one, first, he knew that God was with him. Listen now, he knew that God was with him, not the United States government, not Superman, not important persons, that God himself was with him. Paul asked the question, we'll look at it again later in the book of Romans. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? When he saw his brothers bowing, when he remembered those dreams, he knew that God was with him. And it was even evident to others that God was with him. You don't have to read this, but in chapter 39 of Genesis, chapter 39, verse 2, it says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. This is while he was a slave. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had made all that he did to prosper in his hands. (laughs) I tell you this morning that if you can cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he will confirm your faith and he will confirm it in ways that only you will know. Nobody else will know it, but you'll know it. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 14, If you love me, then keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another parakletos, another comforter, another person called along beside you, even the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him, it doesn't know him, but you know him and he dwells with you and he will be in you. When I leave, I'm going to send him. I'm with you, but he's going to be in you. Listen to this now. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you see me. And because you live, because I live, you shall live also. And at that day you shall know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved to my Father. Listen to this now. And I will love him and I will make myself known to him. That's John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. The Lord made himself known to Joseph, but only Joseph knew it when he saw those brothers bowing. But here's a second and equally important element that I think helps explain the faith of Joseph. He trusted his God without reservation. As I've said, he was terribly hurt 
and terribly confused and disappointed by all that had happened to him because of his brothers and everybody else lying while he's trying to do right. But he always called upon and trusted in the Lord. He never allowed the circumstances in his life to affect his relationship with the Lord. If something's going to be put on hold, he said, I'm not going to put the Lord on hold. I'm going to put everything else on hold. He never allowed the circumstances in his life to affect his relationship with the Lord. And we know this is so from certain incidences given to us here in the Scripture. For example, when his master's wife tried to force him into a relationship with her, this is what he said. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's in Genesis 39, verse 9. When he found himself in prison with two men who had themselves had dreams, and they asked him if he could help them understand their dreams, you know what he said? Do not interpretations belong to God? What does that show you? It shows you where his mind is. Genesis 40, verse 8. And when Pharaoh himself had two dreams and Joseph was called upon to see if he could interpret them, that was a time, brother, if he wanted to promote himself, he could have done it. You know what he said? Pharaoh said, I've heard say of thee that you can understand and interpret dreams. And Joseph answered and said, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. That's in Genesis chapter 41, verse 15 and 16. So the first two secrets that help explain the extraordinary life of Joseph is he knew God was with him, and secondly, he trusted the Lord without reservation. Now, we know he trusted the Lord without reservation, regardless of what happened to him, because of the testimony of those who came in contact with him, and because when given the opportunity, he always gave a witness for the Lord and gave him the glory rather than seeking to exalt himself. But there is a third biblical fact, revelation, that helps us explain the life and the faith of Joseph. And I think this third one is the foundation of the other two. I can think of no better passage to try to explain this third foundation of Joseph's faith than the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've all heard these words. Let me just read them to you. They're found in two places. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 and Luke chapter 11 verse 2. And everybody here has heard this. It begins like this. Our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as in heaven. All of you have heard that called the Lord's Prayer. In my opinion, there are two major secrets of Joseph's faith. And they're found right here in these two first two verses of what we call the Lord's Prayer. He never forgot the holiness of God. And his chief desire was for the will of God to be done in his life. 
even if it was at his expense. The God of Joseph was God over all things. He was the sovereign God. His throne is in heaven. The place of his power was in heaven. His person is to be hallowed, that is, to be reverenced. He is the holy God. He's the holy other. You know what holy other means? Most of the time when we're trying to describe something we're having, we're we're having trouble finding words. We say, well, it's like this and it's like that. But you can't say God is like this and like that because there is no other God. So he's the holy other. You can't compare him to anything. In fact, he said through Isaiah, with whom shall you compare me, saith the Lord. I'm afraid that the God of America is not the God of Joseph. Everything that's associated with the God of Joseph, he is the holy God. Everything about him is holy. How many of you today, if you look on the front of your Bible, on the edge of the Bible, have a loving Bible? Anybody have a loving Bible? No, it says holy Bible. Because God, the God in the Bible is holy. Everything associated with him is holy. There were holy mountains. There were holy prophets. There were holy servants. There was uh, a holy law, his holy commandments, his holy spirit, his holy word. Even his love is holy. His judgments are holy. Everything about God is holy holy. And Joseph knew that God. Then he says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is holy is your name. Then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. Thy will be done. What is our heart's desire concerning the will of God? So let me make two very important statements. First, the refusal of men and devils to submit their wills to the will of God is the single cause of all chaos, all confusion, and judgment. This means in the second place that the way of peace, the way of comfort, the way of fellowship with God is through submission of my will to his will. I've said the same thing twice, but from opposite poles. I intend to open this up Tuesday, God willing. Refusal to bow to the will of God is the single cause of all chaos, all confusion, all death, no spirit. If you feel like your life is in confusion right now, if you feel like your life is turned upside down, I can tell you why. Because you will not submit to the will of God. I promise you, if you will submit to the will of God, if you will submit to His Son, if you will bow 
to God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, I promise you that your life will begin to take on meaning and that the confusion will begin to dissipate. Doesn't mean you won't have challenges. Doesn't mean you won't still have problems. But it does mean that you'll have your feet on the ground and things will begin to turn upright. But as long as you are saying, I want to do my thing, I want to do it when I want to, the way I want to, as long as I want to, I want my will, I don't want anybody getting in my way, not even God. You're going to experience confusion and chaos and ultimately divine judgment. Can you say in your heart that you want the will of God to be done in your life? Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Thy will be done in earth as it is done in heaven. Now think about this. Joseph went through many hardships. He went through many disappointments. Then in all of those hardships, he was willing for the will of God to be done. And he honored the Lord as the holy God. He never fought against him. He never complained. You don't see one scripture in the Bible. Joseph said, why in the world is this happening to me? I'm the only one trying to serve you. I'm the only one who really believes in you. I'm the only one that's praying to you, trusting to you. Why are you letting all this happen to me? You never see that. What you see to Joseph is, you see this, thy will be done. Here in the earth in my life as it is done in heaven. He honored the Lord as holy. He never fought against or complained regarding the will of God. And the Lord honored his faith and exalted him. Gave him victory over all of his enemies, over all of his circumstances, over all of his opposition that was thrown at him by men and devils and ended up making him the governor of Egypt. <laughs> Unbelievable. Similar story about our Lord Jesus Christ. When he came into this world, nobody even knew he was here. They didn't have any big headlines in the paper. Son of God born in Bethlehem. Nobody even knew it. <laughs> Just a few shepherds. Just a few other people. But he came into the world. He lived in this world while he was here. They were always trying to trip him up, always trying to trap him, always trying to catch him in something. Always, and they hated him. They hated him. That's why they crucified him. That's why they put him on a cross. I mean, probably some of the hardest people here are watching by the Internet. Probably you got a place somewhere in the back part of your heart of tenderness. <laughs> Probably if you walked by and you saw a man nailed to a piece of wood with nails in his feet and nails in his hands, nailed to a piece of wood, surely there would be some pity somewhere down in your heart. But they stood at the cross of Christ. 
And they said, he said he was the son of God. Let God have him now if he'll have him. And they spat on him. They cursed him. They said, come down from the cross now. We'll believe you. My friends, one of these old days, it may not be long. The one who was despised and rejected. Tell you what. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. See if you can find Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. I give you time to find it. Chapter 53. The one who was despised and rejected of men. The one whose name was cursed. Just like Joseph. Everybody opposed Joseph. Nobody in his family wanted him to succeed. But he ended up being the governor And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be revealed from heaven one day, according to the scripture, in flaming fire with his holy angels, bringing judgment upon all who did not want him to rule over them, who would not say, thy will be done. And here's the thing, he's going to tell his brothers later, that he knew that all of the problems he had, all of the hardships he had, all of the mess he went through, he knew, he told them this. I can show you this again. We'll get to it one of these days. But he told them God was in every bit of it. He brought it all to pass. But his intention, God's intention, was to be a blessing. In Isaiah chapter 53 we need to just study this chapter one, one Sunday, if we can, just survey it. Isaiah begins with, who has believed our report? Who in the world is going to believe this? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Arm is power. He, speaking of the Messiah, verse 2, he will grow up as a tender plant. That is, he's going to come into the world just like any other baby. You know when a baby is born, all you got to do to kill that baby is just take it and drop it. It's dead. That's all. Just like a tender plant. Tender plant first comes up, you just step on it with your foot and squash it out and it's gone. So he's going to come into the world as a tender plant, as a baby. He's going to come into the world as a root out of dry ground. So he's going to have a miracle birth. You don't take, if somebody saw you taking an old dead dry stick and planting it in your backyard, they'd say, we need to call the white coat folks to come pick up him or her. Because they're crazy. They're out there planting dead sticks in their garden. But Jesus came into the world as a root out of dry ground. In other words, he was virgin born. He was born of a woman who had not known a man. He has no form or comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire. I don't know how to take this, but Jesus might not have been a real good-looking guy. He may not have been. All these Renaissance artists, you know, they paint him as a real handsome guy, almost effeminate. he, He grew up in a carpenter shop. He was not a sissy. He was a man's man. He probably had calloused hands. And watch verse 3. He's despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows everywhere he went. He's acquainted with grief. 
And how did we react to him? We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We didn't see any value in him, any reason why we should listen to him, any reason why we should trust him or follow him. But you know what he was really doing? Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. But when we looked at him on the cross, we looked at him as a special example of the judgment of God, the smitten of God and afflicted. The Bible says he that is hanged on a tree is cursed of God. Jesus was hung on a tree. He was wounded, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities, our lawlessness, our sins. The chastisement, the beating of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It's through the death of Christ that our S-I-N virus is healed. There's a virus a lot worse than the coronavirus. It's the S-I-N virus. And nobody has ever been immune to that virus. Nobody can get a shot that can cure the S-I-N sin virus. Every human being since Adam has died. You're going to die and I'm going to die unless the Lord comes back. All right, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We, we wouldn't follow our shepherd. And so the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he never opened his mouth. He never complained. You don't read one time in the, in the life of Jesus Christ and him saying, Father, I am your son. Why do I have to go through all of this? You don't ever find that, just like you don't find it in the mouth of Joseph. You don't find any complaints in the mouth of Joseph. He opened not his mouth. He is brought, verse 7, as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, that's an old English word, means it doesn't cry out, doesn't say anything. So he opened not his mouth. I came from a place where they would take sheep and goat and cattle to the stockyard. And I can tell you that when you take a goat, that goat will almost talk to you. The sheep will never open its mouth. Take them in there and cut their throat, slaughter them, never open their mouth. Like a sheep, he didn't open his mouth. He was taken from prison, verse 8. Who should declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living, but for the transgression of my people he was stricken. Verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked. He hung on the cross between two thieves. With the rich in his death, there was a guy named Joseph of Arimathea who came up to the Roman government and said, Look, I, uh, I'd like to uh, offer my, my grave for, to bury Jesus in. And Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. And that's why it said, He made his grave with the wicked. He hung between two thieves. And with the rich, that's Joseph of Arimathea, in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit ever found in his mouth. Now, who put Jesus on the cross? He said the Romans put him on the cross. The Jews put him on the cross. Judas Iscariot took 30 pieces of silver 
to go up and kiss Jesus to identify him so the, Jew, the Jews could arrest him and so they could turn him over to the Romans. Who put it into the heart of Judas to do that? The scripture says the devil did. So you can say the devil put Christ on the cross, Judas put Christ on the cross, the Jews put Christ on the cross, the Romans put Christ on the cross. Who put Christ on the cross? Behind all of that, what does it say in verse 10? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. See, when Jesus came into the world, he came into the world on a mission. He didn't come into the world not knowing what he was going to do. The Father sent him in the world to do certain things, to accomplish certain things. He sent Joseph into Egypt to do certain things, to accomplish certain things. And Joseph knew that. You're here in this world to do certain things and to accomplish certain things. And if I were you, I'd be looking to the Lord, trusting in him. I'd be putting my will out of the way. Said, not my will be done, but thine. Show me, Lord, how to do that. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. He made his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and prolong his days. What does that mean? It means that the life of Jesus, do you know how, how old Jesus was when he died? He was only about 33 years old. Only about 33 years old, but his life was extended beyond this 33 years. He's the eternal son of God who came into the flesh as a man. And his seed here, those are his children. Those are all the people for whom he died. He's going to see them. They're going to see him. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper. That means the will of God is going to be done in spite of everything the devil and men can do. And God the Father is going to see the suffering of his soul. Verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and God the Father will be satisfied. He will say the penalty that my son paid for the sins of all his people I'm satisfied with it. I'm happy with it. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. He's called the righteous servant. My friends, do you know something? I'll let you read these last two verses. Verse 12, rather the last verse, I'll divide with him a portion with the great. He'll divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. All of that is about Christ. Let me give you a little simple lesson. I taught on it years ago, especially for all of you young people. You see these advertisements on television and you go down to the restaurants and they say, we're going to give you something free. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's a difference between free and free for nothing. Ain't nothing free for nothing. Somebody somewhere has to pay for it. Am I right? That's right. When they say free, somebody is paying for it. 
And if any one of us ever enters the portals of glory, you can be sure that you are freely saved. You are saved freely by his grace. Those are quotes from the Bible. But that grace, your salvation, ain't free for nothing. It was paid for in the sufferings and in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friends, this life with the Lord Jesus Christ begins with saying, not my will, but thine be done. I surrender. I surrender to you, Lord. Help me. I got a lot of rebellion in my heart. I got a lot of, I want it my way in me. He knows that about you. He knows that about me. But you can begin by saying, help me, Lord. One thing I can say in my, in my long life, I have never seen one person who sincerely bowed to the Lord that the Lord refused. Now how that works out with the sovereignty of God, you figure it out. But I'll tell you this, if you bow to him, if you call on him, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the secret to Joseph's victory, not my will, but thine be done. When one is submissive to the will of God, you can't lose. Either he will bring you out, or he'll bring you through it, or he'll take you to himself on high. Either way, you can't lose. This is what Paul said. I quoted this earlier. I will close with this quote. It's kind of a, it's a three or four verse quote, but it's worth it. It's found in Romans chapter 9. It begins in verse, I'm Romans chapter 8, begins in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, when you surrender and you say, not my will, but thine, God is for you. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that can condemn? It is Christ that died, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature or thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, if you say, not my will, but thine be done. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, we call upon you now in the name of your Son, Jesus, who is the Lord and who is the Christ. He's the Messiah that was promised that came into the world, of whom Joseph is a wonderful, beautiful type. Joseph sets an example for us of what it is to trust you even in spite of adverse circumstances and situations.
even when things seem to be going backwards. It seems that death is coming, that hell has gotten a hold of us, that men and women and boys and girls and even our own families have turned against us. We know that you'll bring us through it and bring us out so that we can say thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that many today will call upon you and will be able to say in their heart, not my will but thine be done. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to believe on him. I'm going to call on him. In Christ's name I pray. In the name of Jesus I ask it for his sake. Amen.